Hello and welcome to Phoenix Foundation, an episode-by-episode podcast review of CBS's action-adventure series, MacGyver. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we're tackling Season 1, Episode 8, Hellfire. This episode originally aired on November 27th, 1985. Which, uh, for those of you keeping track, is ten days after the last episode. Yeah, so it's a completely different day of the week. Yeah, this is, uh, we were previously on Sundays, and uh, this was, ABC was testing MacGyver in a Wednesday night time slot. I guess it did pretty well, because a couple months later it switched to Wednesdays for Keeps. Mm-hmm. So it seems more like a Wednesday show. I think you were saying that before, and I agree. Yeah, it, like, Sunday primetime doesn't seem like MacGyver, a MacGyver-esque time slot. Yeah. But uh, Wednesday, you know, people get home from work and you pop it on. And that's mm-hmm. what you want to see. Explosions and stuff. Good times. Um, it was directed by Richard Cola. Um, this is his only MacGyver with a story by Douglas Brooks West. Okay, yeah. Uh, I imagine Brooks West probably wrote the original script for the episode. Given and the, then it was adapted by the other two. Yeah, given the, given the way the credits with the ampersand and and the... Sure. And the spelled out and. Yeah, it's a little uh, convoluted. Yeah, it does look like Douglas wrote the story... And mm-hmm. then he wrote, he had a teleplay that was adapted by Stephen and uh, and James. Uh, Stephen Candell, who of course has written many episodes for us uh, previously, he wrote The Gauntlet, he wrote Trumbo's World, but he's going to be appearing a lot um, as we move along. I think it was 13 episodes total mm-hmm. that, that he has a writing credit on. Um, and one of his uh, episodes down the line is uh, The Odd Triple, which is the second appearance from Vernon Wells. Yay! Um, so actually, because James Schmerer wrote The Heist, which is Vernon's first appearance, we have um, both of his writers uh, co-writing this episode. So, But no Vernon Wells in this episode. But no Vernon Wells, unfortunately. Um, and again, we have no opening gambit. Um, second yeah. episode in a row with no opening gambit or cold open. Yeah, just straight to credits. Yeah, which... Um, I, it kind of bums me out. It, I think it puts the mm-hmm. episode like it starts off on a bad note when there's not an opening gambit. Because we know that I know that there will be more later. Sure, they're definitely, yeah, no. definitely I mean, more we've later. seen them down the line, but it just it, when I when I start an episode and it's already in the opening credits, I just feel like ah, oh, there could have been another adventure in this. I'm I'm wondering if they when they were writing a lot of these scripts, they were coming up short, and and so like oh this was well, like a filler situation. Yeah, it's like we we need something to kill another like seven or eight minutes. And then these episodes were actually fully formed so they mm-hmm. they had enough to fill the 44 exactly. minutes yeah because the you know putting the opening gambit in there it saves you another i mean sometimes 10 12 minutes right yeah so if you're trying to fill an hour every week it definitely makes it easier plus they're fun they are fun. just like little fun little side story adventures you make a whole episode make a whole show of just opening gambits yeah i would watch that mm-hmm. sooner than i would probably want to watch a clip show <laughs> yeah exactly um, all right, so why don't you give us sort of a, a, the brief um, coverage of, of what uh, the episode is about. Well, in this episode, MacGyver uh, travels to some, I don't really know where in the United States, somewhere in the U.S., where some old friends of his have started up their own oil company. They're drilling for oil, and uh, things are going okay until they hit a pocket of gas, it ignites, and they have a giant fire to put out. Right. And this episode, uh, we should mention... Uh, firstly, it, it borrows very heavily from the plot of a 1953 film called Wages of Fear, which um, if you have Hulu Plus, uh, the whole Criterion collection is mm-hmm. at your disposal. You can check it out. It's a great movie. It's like a French-Italian co-production. Basically, very similar story. There is a uh, a fire at an oil well, 
the oil well in the movie is owned by an American company and they hire um, these four European men. Two of them are French and there's a Dutchman and then there's an Italian guy. And uh, the four of them are tasked with driving nitroglycerin through 300 miles of like mountainous rocky roads. Um, we don't actually see them putting out the fire at the oil well. I don't believe it's been a long time since I saw the movie. I think the, the story for them basically ends with just delivering nitroglycerin. I don't think it, it's the journey. Yeah. It's the, it's the journey. It's not, it doesn't involve the actual firefight um, part of it, but yeah, so it's very, very similar. We'll see um, to how this episode plays out. And I don't think they say anywhere in the episode uh, where this is actually taking place. But um, on the MacGyver Online uh, episode trivia, they said that the TV guide at the time said this was Wyoming. So that's where we're supposed to be for this episode. I sincerely hope that they actually had the TV guide from the time. Like, they saved it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they looked back through it. Instead of out. just finding an online archive of it, like, finding the actual, oh, yeah. I still have that TV guide. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. What was the cover? <laughs> but so, yeah, at the start, um, MacGyver is coming in on a helicopter. Yeah, the only way to get him out, so that they're, so, they're in such a remote location which is important for the plot, Yeah, uh, that he had to be flown in by helicopter. There's no roads or uh, clear way to get there. Right. And uh, no civilization anywhere near. Because they, they, they talk about supply runs that, that are made every month, and she's been cutting back uh, on ordering supplies. So, again, I imagine, again, going in and out by helicopter is their only way. Yeah. This episode feels really different. I think right from the start it feels different than other episodes because these are friends of MacGyver's. Mm-hmm. Usually he's meeting brand new people. Yeah. Well, and in Trumbull's world, he, he came on. He did meet, yeah, Charlie. But in in this case, if he has a history with two of the of the three other people that are in right. this episode at all, like a long time history, like this is like like childhood friend and then like longtime girlfriend. Yeah. Who he who he admittedly had like not a a thing like not a, like a, an affair with, but he says how did how did he how did Bill see you before I did? Yeah. Kind of like he's. I want to say jealous. And he calls but, her sexy right at the start yeah, of it, right, which, yeah, which right. is unexpectedly flirtatious from him. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a joke because she's like, she's all dirty and wearing a baseball yeah, yeah, cap. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, he's kind of like, there's there's like this hint of regret in his voice. Yeah. Like, oh, I could have had all that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, open, it opens up with her running out to the helicopter. Right, to meet him. The great Nana visitor. I know her best from her role of Major Kira Norris on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, right. one of my favorite series. And she also did a bunch of voices on Family Guy over oh, the yeah, last yeah. Like, she, five she, or six years. She works a lot. She she has a lot of small appearances and things. And uh, but, yeah, but of course, just being the Star Trek fan that I am, that's my sure. go-to for Nana Visitor. <laughs> I actually haven't seen any of Deep Space Nine. I don't think it's even really good. an episode. So, does she make appearances in any of the other ones at crossovers? Or um, I'm trying. I can't think of anything offhand right away. Yeah. I know some of the uh, games she is in. She does voices. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So she's meeting with him as he's landing, and then they head back in to meet the other two men that man this right, oil the well. Oil Derek. It's a, and they right away they hit uh, a gas pocket. Right. And like which gas. is usually right above an oil pocket. Mm-hmm. Which, which concerns me one that they're letting all this gas just out. Well, that bugs me in any movie with oil derricks. Like, you know, the beginning of uh, of There Will Be Blood, and they're, like, dancing around in the oil. Like, yeah, we struck oil. And it's like, this is a bunch of money right here. Like, yeah. aren't, isn't, aren't you losing money every second this is pumping oil into the sky? Mm-hmm. Or, or, but also the gases are, some of them are, one, they're, some, some of them would be really exotic gases. You don't know what kind of mixtures they're 
have been compiling down there. Sure. Um, but just the fact that they're just like letting it all out into the air. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> so it's it's bleeding off all this gas. They're right. they're waiting they're waiting for all the gas and water that's been saturated on the top of this uh, to finally push through enough so that the pressure of the oil can come out. Yeah. Um, and then they move inside the mm-hmm. cabin to kind of look at the survey that MacGyver's brought with him yeah. and compare it to their own maps that they have and just kind of determine where exactly the oil is under them. Right. And where the level starts. And, and uh, we have our first MacGyverism. When the the power goes out, the, the fuse blows when they try to turn some lights on. Yeah. And so he... He fixes the fuse by taking a gum wrapper and actually just bridging the circuit around the fuse, which is very dangerous to me. Like, if the fuse goes out, you have a problem. Right. It, the, the fuse didn't go out just because it gave out. It went out because there's something wrong with the line. Yeah, it didn't die of natural causes. Yeah. So. Uh, and he, this is where they have the conversation where she kind of explains, like, we've been cutting corners a lot lately. That's why we don't even have a spare fuse. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're low on money. This is their last chance. They don't have much more time. Their lease is up. Uh, if they don't, if they don't hit pay dirt, then they're gonna lose everything, and he'll have to go back to fighting fires, which is what she right. does not want. Which, I mean, they're kind of reaching because he doesn't have to go back to do that. Yeah, and it but, feels like it's essentially the the main driving force, the motivation of this is profit, and that they're gonna be missing out on profit, which mm-hmm. feels weird to me for a MacGyver episode. It's like, really, oh. what's at stake is potentially making money. And we're going to go risk our lives to prevent yeah. not getting the money. I'm I'm fine with that. It's it's you know it, it is kind of like the American dream. Sure. Like your big risk for big payoff. But uh, and I guess my my problem is more that these people don't seem like they're that down on their luck. Like they could go other places, and especially MacGyver. Yeah. Like seems like he's well off enough. Like at least in Wages of Fear, these are like four guys that are like penniless and might do this for like a significant amount of money. Right. But these people seem like they they get along all right. They had other opportunities. They chose they chose yeah. this. I can yeah. see that. But be that as it may, right? That this is what they're doing. This yeah. Is, uh, so they fix the power and uh, they're, they 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 analyze the surveys and determine that there's definitely oil. Like yeah. they're they're you know the gas not evidence enough. But, and it's a significant amount of money. Right. And they could totally pay off their lease and. And buy this the steak and yeah, just yeah. keep the place. So, uh, but while they're out celebrating with the with the gas coming out uh, and the power now back on, the wind kind of starts to kick up and they got these like electric bulbs. Yeah, a string like, of lights over the derrick that mm-hmm. are like clicking against it in the wind. Uh, and one of them just shatters. Bursts, yeah, and uh, instantly ignites the gas and the whole thing just explodes and it's crazy. Like it's a lot of fire. It's it's some cool pyrotechnics. Mm-hmm. So. I mean the whole the whole wooden tower is just ablaze. Yeah. And uh, you know they're they're obviously pumping out some other you know just probably gasoline and just igniting gasoline. Yeah. And but, while while they're rushing away from the explosion, Pete, who is Pete, is like kind of the third wheel of this yeah, operation. He, he, he Bill needed someone else to help him, like to you know just more people like to to help and. Obviously, Pete was willing to do it either pro bono in in uh, for a share of whatever they find. Yeah. Because he doesn't seem – obviously, they don't have enough money to pay anybody. Yeah. So he must be doing it for – you know he doesn't seem to know him beyond 
working there right and in getting away from this explosion he becomes trapped under these pipes that yeah, like roll off like he's thrown by the explosion and the explosion also dislodges this pile of mm-hmm. like giant metal pipes that crush his leg and break yeah. his leg uh so they they lift the pipes off of him and they drag him away and uh the rest of the fire kind of consumes the the primary living structures. Yeah, the, and offices the, the and... first building that they were just in looking at all the maps on, like, that whole building exploded. That's yeah. gone. Now they just have, like, a shack and a blowtorch, mm-hmm. basically, of a, of what well, used to be an oil dairy. <laughs> yeah. Just and it's firing, like, 20 feet into the sky. Mm-hmm. I'm not even 100% sure how they did it, but it looks pretty awesome. Yeah. And it looks like it's not a scale model. It looks it, like it's real. Yeah, it looks like a giant flame. Yeah. Um, their only option then is they, they say that their only option is to put out the fire themselves because they're going to, their lease is going to be up soon. Cause MacGyver says you could probably hire a crew and, and pay them on credit because you're going to get that oil. And, and he says last time we did that, it cost $5 million and we don't even have enough time to do it. Because yeah. Well, he, he says that he said they couldn't get a crew out here in two months. It's like where they can't be that far from. Yeah, I got everything. a helicopter. I'll go pick them up one at a time. Yeah. It's, uh, it seems very unlikely that they're they're so far removed that it would take two months to get to them, and plus, if you've got a raging oil fire, that's a hazard. Yeah, Not someone's just... going to want to put that out anyway. Yeah, the... but you also don't want people to come and take your oil. Exactly. Well, because once they find out that their lease is up, um, yeah, if know. someone has to put out an oil fire there, then they're the person they're leasing it from is going to be like, yeah, no, it's not for sale anymore. Yeah, I'm taking it. So they decide they have to blow it up, but they don't have the equipment. Right. Um. He asks about nearby installations that people might have right. had something they could use. Yeah, Pete Pete throws out this uh, thought that there's a... Well, first they have to set Pete's leg. This is broken. Right. And MacGyver does this really convoluted uh, distraction. Typical MacGyver. Curious law. And it's a... It's, I'm not going to repeat it. It's a mouthful. We'll put it on the website or something. But it has to do with, like, magnetism. And, and Pete's just like, what, what are you talking about? And then he snaps... Jerks the leg. Cracks his leg in place. It's like, I I don't know. Like, I get the concept of distracting him, but... uh, Curie's Law seems like a random, like, left field grab for this particular use. Yeah. It feels like more of a, like, on three, one, click. Exactly. Situation. You don't need to go the whole way overboard. It's almost kind of condescending. Oh, you don't know Curie's Law about the pragmatic magnetism of I metal. had to say something I knew would confuse you lesser beings. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. as we learned in, in the previous episode, MacGyver's not perfect yet. Mm-hmm. He's on his he's way. He's on his way there. Uh, they set the leg and then uh, Pete tells them about the 10 strike mine, which is not too far away, 40 or 50 miles. I think it's 54 miles. Oh. Which in the movie it was 300 miles they had to move this nitroglycerin. But here oh, obviously. They, they, they scale it down for television. Right, yeah. It's been formatted to fit my camera, TV screen. The camera adds 200 miles. <laughs> <laughs> so they they have to take the, they take the truck, which okay they fill the truck up with dirt later to help cushion the nitro. Right. But it's already full of dirt now. I thought they would have figured like they would have tried just to get, use that dirt or get the dirt out. If, like it just seems like unnecessary weight in the truck. Yeah, because they didn't really know what they were bringing back. Uh huh. Like for all they knew, they were gonna find crates of pristine dynamite or nothing. That would be even weirder than leaving a shack full of dynamite is pristine dynamite. <laughs> like this stuff's great. Why didn't you guys take it? This is this is like uh, $5, although those boxes $1. look pretty nice when they get there. Yeah, they're... I mean, they it could have been pristine dynamite when they left, but but still, who leaves dynamite? Like you always bring the dynamite. Yeah, always. It 
it never does not it never doesn't have a use when was the last time you didn't use dynamite (laughs) (laughs) think real hard so at first light they uh drive the truck out to the 10 strike mine which looks an awful lot like boars Boars of of prison prison. (laughs) which i cannot believe you noticed i i knew when they pulled into the it was when they pulled into the valley like i said the the, this the arrangement of the structures and the the location right seems so bizarre but uh we'll post the pictures i was looking for any kind of landmarks that matched them up because i there were there were fewer structures in this episode than there were right in that episode and after you told me about it i i was looking for it and this time i definitely saw like Oh yeah, this this the arrangement of the buildings does look a lot like Borza. It's just shot from the opposite direction uh-huh. for the most part. But then you found a one particular angle. Yeah, there's the one angle that has this identical mountain formation in the background. Like it lines up. It's almost it's almost almost the same camera position. Like maybe like the, the only thing away. that indicates that it's not is that the structure is in a different place. Mm-hmm. Which it kind of feels like maybe it just like they pushed in for the shots for this episode and it right. was further back. Um, for the Thief of Budapest. Yeah. But it's definitely the same exact location that, that they used for Borza Prison in, and, and in some of the same one, buildings. episode three. Yeah, and then some of the buildings. But some of them, as as we learned, the uh, the Hungarian government just knocks down after people build it. So <laughs> Build us more buildings and use the pieces from that building. <laughs> <laughs> but they left all the dynamite in that uh, political prison. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, MacGyver and Bill show up. Yeah, it, it's weird. He's like, where, where do you think they keep the dynamite? And Bill, he he puts this weird emphasis. Like, Look for the powder shack, Mac. We gotta find the powder shack. It's, yeah. It's like the way he says powder shack. He it's really, just real excited. It's a really hard P. It's a powder shack. It's guaranteed to sound good on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, what does a powder shack look like? Why would it look any different from any other shack? What, yeah. And like, I don't know. I, I, Maybe it's like a chain like Radio Shack, but for dynamite. Like, yeah, it's a pow- the powder, hopefully there's a powder shack powder nearby. Shack. They can find a powder shack employee. Yeah. So they find the powder shack, and it's all rickety and falling apart. The only structure that's, like, falling apart in the in the mine. It's the only one that looks like it was built out of rotted wood to begin with. Yeah, which I'm sure it was for the purposes of the production. <laughs> yeah. uh, they immediately, like, fall through the floorboards as they walk in, and uh, they put some planks down, which I don't know why they don't do throughout as they're walking around, because they... They step on these pieces of wood that it clearly does support their weight. Or but it's least... bending like it's a sponge. Yeah, and and some of them are just like all whole. There's like all, there's nothing linking yeah. these two pieces of wood together, and they just flex. Yeah. It, it's very. It makes you very nervous, which is good because you're supposed to be. It's, it's the point. It's kind of the point. Uh, they open up the crates, and the dynamite on the top is all dried out because all the nitro has leaked out of the sticks. Which I think at first Bill was worried that it might be soggy. Mm-hmm. And so he's like relieved to see that it's dry. And then MacGyver's like, eh, it's too dry. Like, yeah. There's supposed to be fluid here that's the igniting source of these sticks, mm-hmm. and it's not here. Yeah, it all oozed down, and uh, it's settled at the bottom of these crates. Right. And it's all now just the nitroglycerin that's inside the sticks of dynamite, not any kind of protection of things something you can hold it's just the raw uh, fluid Nitro, yeah, yeah that, and it's dynamite you don't mess around with dynamite no matter what but in this particular case it's now wholly unsettling you can't move too fast with it and macgyver immediately jams his knife. swiss army knife right into a pile of it and just scoops it up it just seems like a really dangerous maneuver especially when bill says seconds later like a sneeze will set it off yeah it's like oh because i just stabbed it and i'm I fine wonder, can dynamite 
time I can be probably set off electri- electrically, right? What if he had like a oh, I'm sure it can. static charge when he shoves that knife in there? Oh, yeah. Pfft. It's just a windy day and yeah. just sets it all off. They have warnings for that at the gas station. Like, discharge your static before you start pumping. I wonder how true that is, though. I think that's kind of like a don't use your cell phone. Mm-hmm. During the – before they – when they realize the dynamite's in there and they can use it, there's this weird series of cuts where it's Bill convincing MacGyver, this is my last firefight, this is my last big adventure, and cuts to Laura and Pete talking about firefighting and why she wanted him to get out. And it essentially feels like we want to know what Laura's thinking. Right. Let's put a mannequin in there. No, a mannequin would be weird for her to talk to. Let's put a guy with a broken leg so that he doesn't mm-hmm. have to contribute to the story in any way. Right. Except being there. Yeah, he 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 does nothing except get hurt in yeah. the story. Like, they would have solved the problem themselves without MacGyver had he not gotten hurt. Yeah. So It, it, it actually probably would have been easier without Pete there at all because... Mm-hmm. You know, they wouldn't have had to reset anyone's leg. They wouldn't have wasted time there. They'd already been on their way. He's a liability. Right. Yeah, you, you gotta fire that guy. This Pete guy's just a waste. <laughs> but you're not paying me. <laughs> Shut yeah. up, Pete. Uh, so, while retrieving the dynamite, uh, they grab one of the cases, and then all of a sudden, a good little gust of wind comes by, and the shelf finally just does give way. And Bill is forced to brace himself up against the wall. Which it to... seems like this whole building would have just exploded. Like if they'd gotten there an hour later, it would have yeah. blown up on its own. Yeah, they they, 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 they stopped to have like a snack or something. All of a sudden you see, come on. Oh, we took too long. <laughs> um, or maybe it was just their presence like shifting around on yeah. the floor. Well, Bill's like tap dancing through that place. They put a plank down for the hole that they made. Just, just keep lining planks and getting that thing more secure yeah uh so bill now bracing himself up against the the dynamite uh macgyver like takes a takes his crate out of his hands and then like gives him a moment to catch you know to catch his breath and uh they they're forced to switch places so macgyver then braces himself up against the dynamite while bill gets out yeah, because he's like you know Laura, you gotta live for Laura. Don't put yourself in unnecessary risk. So now Bill is carrying another crate out, and before Bill has a chance to like set it down, yeah, he hasn't or... even gotten to the truck yet, and yeah. MacGyver decides this shelf is a lost cause. Yeah, and he just does a kind of a Butch and Sundance, oh, just yeah. runs out. Yeah, so and that's where the act break is. So it's like this freeze frame on the explosion in Ted Danson. <laughs> yeah, we see the the Ted Danson esque stunt double for Richard D. Anderson. <laughs> it's a it's a very it's a very Ted Danson hairline. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a like, Sam Malone hairline. He walks. It's like Ted Danson's on the set. Ted, no, not no, no Sam. Hair. Stay away from the powder shack. <laughs> but he seems to be the Bill character. Seems to be like an adrenaline junkie. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of enjoying all the risk involved in this yeah. i mean we get the impression that he likes doing the the firefighting um in general right but uh but this particular like task of driving explosion explosive equipment somewhere he's just like totally jazzed about it yeah 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 he even even after the the explosion and he's still holding the crate like, like after you are crazy just <laughs> laughing you're crazy it up. man i mean certifiable <laughs> Is certifiable like I know that that's a thing that people say. So is there an actual certificate for yeah. insanity? Like, do <laughs> they are, give you something? You are certified insane. Here's your diploma. Yeah. 
Uh, Does that you, go on your resume? You get 10% off. I am certifiable. <laughs> I have a certificate. Or you could just, any, if you're certified in anything, you're certifiable. Oh, okay. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. I'm like, you, you are so crazy that you could get a certificate. You have a doctorate. <laughs> of crazy. <laughs> of crazy. Uh, they're forced now to transport the nitro-rich dynamite. So they come up with like a suspension system for the back of the truck. Yeah, they build these springs and they put them under this big board in mm-hmm. the bed, which is resting on the dirt. Right? Yeah. yeah. So it's like dirt, springs, wood. Right. Uh, and so like as they're because they got a long road ahead of them and it was like it's a really rough road, so that just adds some more suspension. As much suspension as they can get yeah. out of it. But as they're driving back, uh, they're forced to drive overnight because they have to take it slow. Some of the nitro starts leaking out of the crates because it's even though it's it is on suspension, it is kind of getting a little bit of jostling, and right. it's enough to like shake tap the the nitro down even more, mm-hmm. and it eventually starts pooling in the bed of the truck. Yeah, because the, the 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 crates aren't watertight. I mean, they're just wooden crates, so there's lots of lots of seams for the the nitro to leak out. Yeah, and uh, just before they make it back, the nitro starts like dripping off out of the truck and exploding on the ground well before that they they have the engine trouble right oh that's true that's true the, um, they they cross through a river and i guess they it somehow seized up the engine or something gave away as a result yeah. of driving through the water which the, uh, macgyver utilizes a, a ballpoint pen to mm-hmm. solve the problem like a spring-loaded pen yeah uh it, 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 was it the the linkage spring was i think the thing that broke Oh, in the, in the, on in, the in, car part? Yeah, in the yeah. car. I don't. It's. I think it's something to do with the throttle of the car. But luckily, most spring-loaded pens come with linkage springs. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's what they're... They're, when... they're originally for cars, <laughs> if you're linkage spring, like if you tried to ford the river. Uh, Bill even makes the comment that, oh, I forget a new truck. I'm just going to buy more pens. Yeah, I'm just going to buy a pack of pens. That'll solve all your problems. Your carburetor's busted. Don't worry. That's why you transfer explosives from one place to another for a living. That's, that's why that's your job because yeah. you think pens will fix your truck, but they do. Yeah, it does fix it. It does. It works. It, but that's only because MacGyver's there. If anyone else were there, it wouldn't have worked. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a temporary again another temporary fix. Yeah, which like, he like he, fuse. he mentions each time this is not gonna this won't last forever. Like mm-hmm. he can't really fix anything. This should last the two months it takes people to get here inexplicably. Yeah. So they fix the truck. He uses the pen spring to get the truck back starting again yeah yeah. um and they get rolling again and this is where the nitro drops are kind of exploding behind them Mm -hmm. as they're as they're driving just one drop at a time so they hear it they know something is going wrong already Mm -hmm. and then somehow it drops underneath the car yeah in such a way that it actually takes the brakes out yeah it it, like a like a a droplet explodes or contacts the brakes and as a result of pressing on the brakes fries the system right as they're getting to the top of this hill that overlooks the camp right which if it had happened like one second sooner they could have just parked the car and walked the boxes down mm-hmm. but because they're already on the downward slant by the time macgyver finds out the brakes are out right they are just like full speed plowing down the hill which which th- doesn't make sense because i imagine that this is a manual transmission truck yeah and you can throw it into different gears and use like slow it down yeah you can use like gear compression braking to to keep it from going out of control. Well, how does how's MacGyver gonna know that? <laughs> oh wait, he's a MacGyver. <laughs> the linkage spring disabled the manual transmission. That's the one 
drawback of yeah. using pens to fix your car. <laughs> uh, but it's an exciting downhill, like, are they going to make it kind of moment because everything's rattling around. The actual, it, it actually makes me think that the nitro could have withstood a lot more. Yeah. That it managed to survive. At the very it. least, two sneezes. Yeah. It would it maybe would have been a little bit more exciting had a box broken loose and flipped. Exploded behind uh, yeah. them or something? Well, yeah, and boom. The, yeah, yeah. Just, just something to... Uh, Remind us that something here could explode. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but they make it down. They crash into the river uh, just in time. So from here, they have to come up with the plan to approach the fire, lower the explosives in, and not burn to death doing it. Right. And that plan involves filling a thermos with the nitro that they're distilling from these right these the dynamite sticks. sticks. Yeah, uh, Nana Visitor is like milking them, like she's just wringing them out into a thermos. <laughs> it's so crazy dangerous. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what? How do you? What do you do? Like when you're done, it's like you go to dust off your hands. Yeah, you accidentally <laughs> clap. <laughs> is she wearing five. gloves or no? No, I don't think so. I think she's just bare barehanded nitro. I did it, MacGyver. High five. <laughs> yeah. That's that's no good. Uh, in the meantime, they uh, come up with a plan to use a jeep as their uh, tank, quote unquote tank, because Bill to makes protect it, them from the heat of the yeah. fire. And a refrigerator is a is a shield, insulated refrigerator. Because as we know, refrigerators <laughs> will protect anyone from anything, be it hellfire or nuclear weapon. Yep, they're they are indestructible. Right. <laughs> that's why that's why they're always in junkyards. Right. Because <laughs> you can't. There's nothing you can do with them. It's like adamantium. Once you make it, you can't get rid of yeah, it ever again. It's just you got that adamantium paperweight for the rest of your life. Uh, I told you the story about uh, the nuking the fridge and how that was borrowed from the original Back to the, Back Future, to the Future script. Uh, maybe, but maybe tell our. It's listeners. probably worth mentioning. Um, if if you can find an early draft of Back to the Future, the script, it's not that hard. There's, it's. I think it's a pretty simple Google search. Um, But in an early draft of it, this is like pre-DeLorean, so at the time it was more of like a laser beam. It looked kind of like the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids machine. Mm. That was how it worked. It was like you would sit somewhere and it would be pointed at you and it would send you back in time. But um, so as as you probably know, in Back to the Future, the, the whole plot rests on this clock that was struck by lightning and froze in place. So... Um, this woman is handing out flyers saying we need to we need to save the clock tower because, you know, in perpetuity it's like this memorial to like oh it's it's been frozen for so long it's like a monument now. Mm-hmm. Um, so she gives a flyer to Marty and then when he goes back in time since he has that information on him he's able to give it to the doc to recognize we can generate 1.21 gigawatts right. using this lightning we know exactly when it's going to strike because it stopped a clock at that time, um, but. In the original draft of the script, the paper that he has with him is his girlfriend's phone number scribbled on the back of a page from his history book Mm. describing the last above-ground test of a nuclear weapon, which coincides with the exact year he gets sent back in time. So this time, the 1.21 gigawatts is developed by a nuclear weapon exploding instead of a lightning bolt. And the last scene of the movie, Marty McFly and Doc are able to infiltrate this nuclear test site and it's the exact beginning of Kingdom of Crystal Skull. They have this track housing with mannequins. Mm-hmm. They're all fully dressed. They go through the houses. They're all completely furnished. And where does he survive the explosion? In a refrigerator. He gets mm-hmm. into a refrigerator, which Doc is able to put some kind of a 
a shield on it that will absorb the radiation of the blast and use that radiation to travel him through time. And so it, I just thought it was interesting when I was reading it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is where they got it from. They just yeah. borrowed it from this old draft of Back to the Future. Like, I imagine they probably wrote it and were like, I can't wait to shoot this. And then they rewrote the entire thing and were like, ah, we'll find somewhere to put it later. <laughs> we'll use a fridge and a nuclear bomb another day. And so they put it at, at the uh, beginning of what most people I think would consider the non-canon Indiana Jones yeah. movie. Well, because obviously Spielberg read the early drafts yeah. for Back to the Future. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. And said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The new fridge and nuclear bomb is pretty cool. And just just carried over to yeah. some point when they're writing uh, Indiana Jones. But so, again, here we see a fridge. And uh, in the Back to the Future draft, it's also mounted onto a truck the way it is here. Oh, so, interesting. Um, yeah, because they're, they're driving away from the explosion with the fridge on the truck while it's absorbing the radiation. So, But yeah, so in, in Hellfire, we have the fridge with a hole cut through the back of it so mm-hmm. they can see. It's like they're using it as a window to see what they're right, doing. Right, right, right. But the fridge is insulated enough to keep to keep the heat from coming in. Right. And meanwhile, uh, Nana and uh, Pete. Pete are back at the river with this hose and a generator that they're using to keep everybody yeah, wet. Like a pump. Yeah, they're, they're just pumping the the water up to keep everybody moist so that no one catches on fire just from proximity. But uh, Bill isn't helping when they're, when they're preparing all this stuff. Right. Cause he feels like, like he, he feels left out because MacGyver's going to go in alone. And so he, he finally just breaks down and says, no, I'm going in with you, MacGyver. You can't do this on your own. And that we, we find out the reason, one of the reasons that uh, Laura wanted him to quit was because every other man in his unit got killed in a fire right and he spent months in a burn ward yeah he almost didn't survive yeah so she doesn't want him to go through that for him or herself really like sure it, you know like she doesn't want him to die but uh so macgyver and him fight about it for like a good minute or like, a couple minutes even yeah it's just like and all the while she's trying to break it up but mm-hmm. they're just tumbling over each other and then into the river and yeah and she finally yields. She finally says, no, okay, MacGyver, he's right. You've got to do it, and he's got to do it, because you're MacGyver, and he's he's just the best. Yeah. So, but this is the last time. This is the last, the last hell fight. Which, at this point, we realize means nothing, because she's told him this before and let him Yeah, exactly. Like, so. the, he, she, she, he, I guess because she's breaking the promise that he made, that makes yeah. it okay. She's... She's watching the dollar signs click down as this yeah. fire continues, and she's like, how much is his life worth? Okay, fine, go fight it. <laughs> go fight it. On second thought, you should totally fight it. <laughs> Why don't you send in Pete so that when he gets killed, yeah, you don't he's have already to basically dead. <laughs> he's already essentially dead. Yeah. A dead person in that he's not helping. Yeah, because it's going to be two months before anyone can get to yeah. him and his leg. It'll be two months before anyone knows that you killed him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so they lay down this track of pipes for the Jeep because the Jeep's got no tires on it. So the ty- the Jeep's just riding on the rims. Right. And they put down some pipes for the uh, the Jeep to ride on. Now they're going to do – what I really like about this because it made me think of a later MacGyver episode. With the no tires Jeep? On, on uh, train tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so I was like, oh my gosh, I love that stuff yeah. for some reason. Because I, I, first of all, I was like – I always love that it – like. Because the train tracks are a certain width, and I don't, I don't know. The Jeep no, a car to... is definitely wider than train yeah, tracks. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Train tracks are not as wide as you think. Yeah. Um. So it's just like it's a very small Jeep. If yeah. It's like yeah. Perfectly fitting on those railroad tracks. Do they give that indication that it, that it fits perfectly? 
In the MacGyver episode? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, or, or it does fit perfectly. I don't recall them making any modifications to it. Maybe it's some special kind of track then. It's just like a wider train than usual. It, it is in a foreign country. Oh, okay. As far so as, I, as I recall. It seems like that stuff kind of should be standardized since trains cross borders and stuff. But mm-hmm. yeah, maybe. Or maybe I, it's one of those parts of the track where they try and tear your train in half. <laughs> <laughs> by splitting the rails. Just slowly widening the rails. Yeah. And then the thing just like, I don't even know what would happen. Well, they ride on the inside of the rails, so it would just fall into the middle. Oh, it would just middle. fall into the gap. Yeah. Fall into the gap. Sorry. Fall into the gap. <laughs> anyway, if you haven't noticed, this episode is sponsored. <laughs> All right, back to the show. They... Uh, <laughs> they start making their way towards the gushing fire. It's still a really impressive fire yeah. that they're keeping going. And there's kind episode. of a lot of footage of them, like wide shots of them. Like mm-hmm. this was clearly going for a while. Yeah. That they were that they were shooting. And and as much as it is a controlled fire, it's still really really hot. Yeah. That much. And they fire, get pretty close to it. Yeah. And so it's it's all again very impressive, as you said, pyrotechnics and uh, a lot of great risky stunt work with yeah. fire i mean um, even the the you know the to dance and explosion dive thing yeah, was, was a pretty awesome pretty looking big. stunt like that that shack i believed that shack was full of dynamite when yeah. it exploded and even they do the reverse angle too from behind it looks mm-hmm. amazing yeah it's good definitely some good work there yeah uh so they're being hosed down as they uh or they, they wheel in the, the the jeep as far as they say that they can go right i don't know what determines uh, that's as far as we can go. Is that's just J- where the track ended Bill arbitrarily. Said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we forgot to put more track down. This is as far as we laid the track, so that's as far as we can go. Um, and they have like a they have a weird pulley system. I think there must have been some kind of pole extended out, but, but they have like a, a oh weird, from the front of the truck from or the front of the truck because they have a, like the thermos dangling from a wire. Are they feeding it through the window that they're using in the fridge? Yeah, they feed it through the window, and then they have like a like a pulley system that's pulling it along a cable and they have like a a release a release pin holding like the trigger in. to drop it to drop it in yeah and uh and the it, whole time they're hitting it with the hose to try and keep it wet so that it's not immediately going to combust exactly uh and at one point it gets stuck so macgyver is forced to to run out in front of the the vehicle and being hosed down the whole time to fix it yeah uh and when he could have just like run out and hucked it into the hellfire yeah, it seems like they were close enough that they probably could have just thrown it in there. Yeah. Um, but they they get it over the fire and they pull the. It's hard to tell what happens. Like it looks like they they pull the pin right away and then just start running. Yeah. And I would think it would just explode. As it well, fell. I mean, if it's wet enough, maybe it actually was surviving the heat enough. Yeah. And and like you said, it was a thermos. So yeah. It's, it's designed. It is designed to. But it's withstand. been sitting here like under a blowtorch for a while. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, I guess we also don't know how wide this hole is. It could have actually fallen down like, like five, six feet before it actually contacted sure, that's solids true. or combusted. Um, but enough time for them to run out of the way before this fire uh, bomb explodes and consumes the fire in a really cool sound effect. This reversed whoosh. Yeah. Um, of the of the consumption of the oxygen. Yeah. It's amazing that they really do that stuff. Like 
the blowout oil fires. They just blow it up. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you put it out. And that was the actual plot of Wages of Fear, is that the reason they needed to get this nitroglycerin over the mountain is because they planned to do the exact same thing. They were going to blow up this oil fire, mm-hmm. too. And I guess the logic behind it is that, I mean, some, I mean, explosions are used to put out fires. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, um, I think in the case of the oil well specifically, it looked like it was supposed to cause a cave in, which is why they needed to drop it directly from mm-hmm. above. Um, so that it like cuts off the oxygen source to the right. fire. I wonder why, I wonder if you could cap it. Just like airlift or just drop like a big to suffocate it. I wonder if that would work ever. Well, you but, know what it makes me think of is, you know, you know, the story of Centralia, Pennsylvania. I do not. Oh, was it the coal fire burning underground? Yeah. The city yeah, has okay. been on fire forever. Like, I wonder if like, if it was cavernous enough down there and they didn't even know about it, like, would it even put out the fire or would it just keep burning underground? Mm. But, um, that's an need- interesting story though. Yeah, the coal fires are, 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 are these weird – they're smoldering fires. Like, yeah. It's not like – And it's been going for oh, yeah. decades. Yeah. It's you know, Silent Hill, obviously. People who people who don't know, this place is the, the basis for the Silent Hill games. Yeah, and it's basically this underground coal fire has been going for a long time. And these people would see – like holes would open up in their yards. Mm-hmm. And they would be able to see down and just see smoldering embers of this coal yeah. fire that's been going for decades – and the town got smaller and smaller as people kept moving out. The government kept trying to buy buy people out of their property. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's hardly anybody living there now. Like there's because well, like, there's toxic gases coming out of the ground. Yeah, too. and and a lot of people have gotten cancer from from living there. Um, and I think there's something like weirdly few like 50 people that li- live in the city still, and they get offered like just market value on their mm-hmm. house um, by the government. And part of the I think like one of the conspiracy theories about it is that. As soon as they own that whole area, they're just going to put out the fire and start just start marketing it. the coal. Yeah, but for the moment, they're they're not willing to pay people above market value for their house to get them yeah. out of Central. Because that that creepy judge who lives there, he's he's not willing to sell. He just he, he just brings people in. Yep. <laughs> Vulcanvania. <laughs> <laughs> Another great movie reference for those who don't know. Nothing but trouble. <laughs> Directed by the great Dan Aykroyd. It's a fun movie. I really like it, but it's. Not it's, what you think it might be about. It's the comedy version of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> exactly. If you oh don't, God, totally. if you didn't think Texas Chainsaw Massacre was a comedy, <laughs> which some of you sickos might. Don't listen to our podcast, you sickos. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here. So, with the uh, fire extinguished, that's uh, pretty much it. There's just like a moment of celebration, and MacGyver, they say like, "Oh, we're going to rebuild, and we need to find someone to help." And Mac- so MacGyver's like, "Well, you know, I'm I'm going to be around if you need help." Presuming, presuming he's seeing these dollar signs yeah. of uh, of the oil share profits since Pete's going to be killed pretty soon <laughs> in yeah. a mysterious accident. Yeah. For the people that didn't watch the show, like for the people that were Wednesday viewers mm-hmm. being introduced to this for the first time, like it's exciting. You know, it's oh, got yeah. there's a lot of stuff where it's like, you know, you're on the edge of your seat for a lot of it. Anytime you have like explosives, a touch away from going off is, is something that's entertaining to watch. Mm -hmm. But I feel like those people would have been misled by this episode. Um, in as much as it almost feels like a pilot for a show about him living in this remote Mm -hmm. area with these, these oil drillers, because at the end of the episode, he's just like, well, you know, I've been looking for something to do. And they're yeah. like, oh, well, then you're hired. And it just sounds like he's going to be there. And then next week he's somewhere else. Especially with no opening gambit to indicate right. what his other, his, what his actual profession is. Yeah, as far as we know, this is like 
the beginning of the MacGyver story. Mm-hmm. And, um, and like people are going to tune in next week to see what happens with him and, and, uh, Laura. And then she doesn't, she doesn't come back. That's, yeah. This is the last episode. But, um, yeah, I mean, people still apparently liked it. And, uh, even though we are back to, um, Sundays next week for the prodigal, um, Eventually, we we move back to Wednesdays full time. Yeah, full time. Uh, also, we we should mention uh, at this point the the actor portraying Bill. His name is Cooper Huckabee, which is just an awesome name yeah. for for who he is and what he looks like. It's just a great actor name for him. But he was uh, in Django, the Tarantino movie. He was uh, Lil Raj Brittle of the Brittle Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, all three of whom are are killed in in rapid succession. Yeah. <laughs> um, by Django and his associate, um, and. Uh, Little Raj is the one that uh, Django ends up whipping to the ground and just tearing mm. into over and over and over again before <laughs> then unloading a pistol into mm-hmm. him. Um, but yeah, so that was the end of Little Raj. Yeah, from Django. Positive. And he's also on True Blood um, as a character named Jolie Mickens. But I'm not. I, I saw the first couple seasons of that show, but I'm not familiar with that character. So he mm-hmm. must be a later addition. I have not seen that show. I must, okay. say. I must say. And you got a chance to do an interview with Cooper Huckabee. Yeah, um, why don't we play that for you now? Hi, Mr. Huckabee. It's very nice to speak with you. Well, it's nice to speak with you. How did you first become involved with MacGyver? Oh, gosh. I had met on the pilot, I think. Oh, okay. Maybe a year or two before or whatever. And I didn't hear anything. And then actually I went on, when I I came back in for a, a guest lead, a guest part, and I worked with Henry Winkler and uh, read with him and read with the director, Richard Cola, I believe, okay. in my episode. And I got I got cast in it and showed up on the set. And Henry Winkler came up to me and said, well, Cooper, we're glad to have you. Um, you were our number. You were our second choice for MacGyver. Oh wow! <laughs> I, and I never knew that. He said, "Yeah, your, your picture was was on on my wall for 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 the longest time, but you were you were our number two choice." Oh wow! <laughs> so I made it to number two. That's but amazing. Richard, Richard Dean was great. He, he he got it, but I really had no idea I was in even in the running for it. Sure. You know? But anyway, that that's how I that was my introduction to the show. That's. Cool. Do you remember where this uh, this episode was shot? Simi Valley. Oh, okay. And what was your impression of the show at the time? Did you think it was going to stay on? Well, you know, I'm trying to think. God, Patrick, what uh, what year did it start? Because I think uh, I this did... episode was 85, 86? I think 85. It was 85. And, and didn't the show come on like in 84 or? Uh, it, or... it started in 85, uh, in September of 85. So this, this, oh. is, this is only the seventh. Eighth episode. Eighth episode. Oh, 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 God. Okay. So I, I, was, I got cast in the first year of it. Yeah. But they did the pilot, um, I think, a full year before it actually started airing. Oh, okay. Then that was it. Yeah. Okay. Then I did a first season then. Do you recall any fun stories from the set? Um, yeah. Uh, well, I'm trying to think fun. Rudy, um, Rudy Ramos, I believe, was my assistant on the show. And my gal friend, Myra. McKay just told me that he's doing a one-man show of Geronimo, but we hung out and became buddies. He was real friendly. And uh, Nana Visitor was actually my next-door neighbor. We never knew it until we drove home from location from Simi Valley. We bumped into <laughs> each other next door. That's funny. They <laughs> said, my God, we should carpool. We're neighbors, you know. We <laughs> worked for about 10 days. 
And um, let's see. I remember there was, I think, there was a, when MacGyver comes into the oil rig, I'm his friend, and I, I have to run out to meet him, and there's a helicopter scene. And this was about maybe maybe a couple, two or three months uh, when Dick Morrill lost his life. Remember when that Twilight right. Zone, the movie, helicopter yeah. went down? So I had to sign all these forms, these release forms, because I was going to be under a helicopter. Oh, wow coming in so that was sort of unusual you know we we touched on that a little bit um with our summary of, of the previous episode they actually had a stunt where a person got knocked over by uh, a helicopter oh really in, in the episode so we we brought up the vic morrow story on our last episode but yeah well oh my god now isn't that a ironic that that's crazy though I'm, I'm surprised they would even schedule a stunt like that if they were having people fill out waivers and everything well, I am because I was in my trailer. I had to fill out all this stuff, and I, I was a little nervous about it too, you know. Sure. Because we're going to want you to come out right where the thing's hovering and he's coming down, you know. Yeah. And I'm going, oh boy. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's that was. And then they did an actual stunt. You tell me. It, huh? it was it was pretty scary looking too. Yeah, yeah. Um, going back a little bit, um, mm-hmm. how did you first get started in the acting world? Well, uh. I, I was playing football in college, and my senior year, um, I went to the theater department. I'd always wanted to act, and I went in and I got cast. And um, first thing I read for, I got <laughs> lucky. Yeah, I got cast, and that helped my confidence, right? And then toured in some plays, and I uh, went to New York in the summers, and um, taught school and coached football in my sideline job to supplement my income. Then came to L.A. In '75, got cast in a little movie in, called uh, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn that was shot in Mississippi with my college uh, group. We went up there and auditioned, and I got a little role in that. And so it was just sort of a slow progression. Sure. Of, um, parts. But I came to LA in '75 and sort of hit the streets and had some contacts from New York the time I spent there studying in winter. H.B. Herbert Burkhoff Studios in New, in New York, and just you know, day to day. Sure. Yeah, you know, that's basically how I started. But. What have been some of your favorite experiences in your acting career? God, Patrick, I've had so many. It's oh, <laughs> I list one or two. I probably said, "Oh my God, was I'm leaving <laughs> off so many." Uh, gosh, they've all been exciting. Each, it seems like each job is is like a new adventure and. Meet new people and it's a new new challenge and uh, different environment. I know my first television role was Little House on the Prairie that I did in 1975. But before that, I got my Screen Actors card in a little independent movie at Crown International called The Pom Pom Girls, <laughs> and uh, it was starring Bobby Carradine, David Carradine's brother. Oh, okay. And, and, and and sort of funny how I, everything is kind of connected. Um, a friend of mine that I'd done some interviews with called me from Vegas one day and said, you know, I was reading an article on Quentin Tarantino, and one of his favorite movies was Pom Pom Girls. <laughs> and I went, oh, isn't that something? Well, three years later, I got to, he, he wanted to meet me for Django Unchained and went in. <laughs> and I brought that up to him. He went, oh, yeah. He said, my God, you, you had my favorite line in the movie. <laughs> I had like one line. I got my screen actors card, and this was like what, uh, thirty-eight years later. Sure. You know, and Quentin was like a fifteen-year-old boy. So anyway, <laughs> you know, just little stories like that, Patrick. Yeah. You know. 
But Urban Cowboy was fun, working with John Travolta on Urban Cowboy and uh, did a couple of Civil War pictures, Gettysburg and the Blue and the Gray miniseries. And, oh, God, I, I could go on and on. But I, mostly I've had just very pleasant, great, memorable times, and uh, I'm really grateful for that. And uh, speaking of uh, your appearance as little Raj Brittle in uh, Django Unchained, I, I was going to ask what that experience was like on that set. Yeah, it was it was fun, fun, fun. It's just wonderful, as you know, to work with Quentin Tarantino. He, he's just the best. He's just uh, so passionate, loves what he's doing, and he just puts everybody at ease around him, and we all have fun. And um, he was he's just he's just he's just a great guy, and a brilliant director, of course, and writer, and just a great person. And um, he's just you know they had to whip me pretty hard, you know, with yeah. these whips and stuff, and. He was always, you know, he didn't want to use a stuntman, but he was always real concerned. Now, are you okay with this? Are you, okay? you know, he was just real. Concerned. I said, yeah, you know, I, I, I can take a punch. As long did, as did they catch you with the whip at all in that scene? Uh, did they hit me actually? I mean, did did they by accident catch you or anything? Oh, not by accident. They just uh, literally did. They had a medic standing by. And oh she, wow! And she kept putting, she took my blood pressure every other take and. Uh, had to put some salve. I had some marks on my neck and my face. They put felt around the whip, actually, so it wouldn't dig deep into my skin. But they, oh, were, okay. really, they were really hitting me. Wow. And so she was tending to me, and they were bringing me soup. And I was saying, I'm okay, I'm okay. Cooper, can you do another one? I said, yeah, Quentin, I'm ready. I can do another one. <laughs> oh, wow. That's <laughs> so, crazy. But it was just little, it was little scruff things. But they were, they were real, very concerned and, and very professional and, and whatever. But, yeah, it was, it was getting, you know, just little brush, little brush marks. Sure. Like little, you know, we're gonna put a little salve on your neck here, and you got a little bump here on your nose. We're gonna touch this up and take your blood pressure. And she took it and said, "Man, your your blood pressure is like Terry Leonard. He's a famous old stuntman, you know." And <laughs> said, the nurse said, "You're like Terry Leonard. He can flip a car, and your blood pressure is 165 over 70." <laughs> <laughs> so that was that little incident. Now, you know, that happened. And Jamie, who was whipping me, he was the nicest guy in the world. He. He was helped me up every time. <laughs> it was fun. It was one of those experiences you always backlog, you know. Sure. Did you have any upcoming projects you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, this is a movie with uh, uh, Stephen Lang that was in Avatar. Sure. And Matthew Goobler, who is a regular on Criminal Minds. I did a, a, an independent movie. It's called A Band of Robbers. Okay. And it's going to be playing the festival. So we just got through with it like two months ago. So, I, I, I mean, actually pick up shops for two months. So I'm expecting to see it uh, this month pretty soon. But be on the lookout for it. I think it's going to be original. It's sort of a, a modern ad- adaptation of um, Huckleberry Finn, uh, Tom Sawyer, but it's present day. Okay. About when they were older. And Matthew Goobler is really great in it. And, and Stephen Lang plays Engine Joe, and I play Muff Potter. Oh, Okay. So that's my recent thing, and I may be doing, hopefully I'm on an avail or an availability, and I've been in twice for Pee Wee Herman's upcoming movie. Oh, okay, yeah. So I'm hoping it's called Pee Wee's Big Holiday. I got my fingers crossed for it. That would be great. So that's where I'm at right now. That's, that's Apatow is doing that one with Netflix? Yeah, yeah, exactly, right, yeah. And I went in and met, uh, met with uh, Paul Rubens and met, um, met the director, John Lee. Okay. After I'd done an audition tape, and then I auditioned again and got good feedback, so I'm kind of waiting to hear. Well, that's very exciting. 
Well, keep me keep me in your uh, thoughts for that. Well, I, I have a young daughter, so we've been watching a lot of Pee Wee lately here. So really, my, <laughs> yeah. girl, my girlfriend and I back in the '80s, we used to rent the movie. When she'd get down in the dump, she says, "You know what I want to do? I want to rent that Pee Wee Herman movie." And it always got her out of depression, and I <laughs> loved it too. So I'm a fan. Yeah, Paul Rubens is great. Oh, he's wonderful. He's just man. I mean, oh God, that character is just he makes you smile all the way through it. Sure. Well, I definitely got my fingers crossed for you on the Pee Wee thing, and uh, we'll definitely we'll put a link up for the Band of Robbers. Okay, great. Please do, because I think that may be a good one, maybe a little sleeper. I'm sure. not sure. I, I, it's got a, got a good feeling about it. Sure. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. I thank you, Patrick. All right. So long. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was really cool of him yeah, to he, do that. He sounds like such a really nice guy, and... Uh, the whole MacGyver second choice story is amazing. Yeah, that's great. I had no idea going into it, so that was really fun to hear. Yeah, uh, like, and it's so funny though because like Henry Winkler. It's also cool to know that Henry Winkler was on set. Like, yeah, like yeah. that he was like a big part. Seems to have been a big part of this production that he was around, and like, uh, like he even came and talked to him and remembered him. And that, this is also a smaller scale episode, so it would make yeah. sense. But it's still it's just cool because it's it's the Fonz and the, and he's coming up and hanging out with you while you're producing his TV show. But yeah, it's crazy to think that there was a time that you know he had Richard Dean Anderson and, and Cooper Huckabee's pictures up on his wall and he was like, all right, mm. we got to narrow this down. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, and I definitely have my fingers crossed for the the Pee Wee thing. That'd be so great yeah. for him to show up in uh, in Big Holiday because I'm looking forward to that movie. I think it'll actually be really funny. I think so too. So. Cool. So if you're listening, thanks again for, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. But I thought it was a good episode. Yeah, I, I like I like this episode. It's, um, again, uh, I, I, fi- I find it fascinating about them blowing up oil, oil wall fires. But, um, you know, it, it's a good relationship story with MacGyver. You meet more of his friends, learn a little bit more about his past. Uh, and I just love the enough visitor so much. Um, uh, so it's always good to – I remember just – just remember that she's in this episode. That's one yeah. of the, like when I think of the episode Hellfire, it's like, oh, that's the episode Kira Norris is in. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, but a, a good episode for sure. I think that there's probably less happening in this episode than in most episodes, but the the gaps are filled with the tension mm-hmm. of there's this fire going on right now. There's dynamite here. There's nitroglycerin here. You yeah. Know, there's ev- everything's about to explode the whole time. There, there's there's not so much a ticking clock, just that at any moment. This could all go horribly wrong. Right. All right. Well, that about wraps up the episode. Um, thanks again for listening. And uh, if you want to reach out to us with any comments about uh, uh, upcoming or, or further into the future episodes, you can uh, send us an email through our website, which is phoenixfoundationpodcast.com. Uh, if you want to hit us up on Twitter, we are at Opening Gambit, all one word. And you can find us on Facebook. Uh, uh, just If you just do a search for Phoenix Foundation Podcast, it should show up. And uh, stay tuned next week when we're going to be reviewing Season 1, Episode 9, The Prodigal. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening.